welcome back to Social Confluence. Good morning, good evening, good afternoon, good night. Uh, wherever you are in the world, thank you for joining again to Social Confluence. I'm your host, Shanduk, together with Diego Amarali. And today we have an interesting, very, very interesting guest. We're going to dive in a little bit deeper into decentralized finance. But about that, Diego, how has your week been? The week has been pretty good. Only today I got some bad news. So if my energy seems a bit low throughout the call, uh, I'll try to keep it up. But we'll talk about this uh, a bit later after the show. But definitely let's get into decentralized finance. After the social media conference, we kind of continued the episodes afterwards in the trend of blockchain. We had social media on blockchain during the conference, art, and then we talked about the metaverse, Facebook's rebranding, and it kind of naturally led to us talking about crypto more and more. And fortunately for us, we have our own kind of DeFi wizard here locally. I like to call him uh, our DeFi wizard. He'll probably deny that, but he uses a wizard emoji and profile pic everywhere. So that's why I'm calling the DeFi wizard. And what is DeFi? Shanduk already said it, decentralized finance. It's kind of a, a new frontier in finance and technology. So I don't quite understand everything about it yet, but I think Mitchell can, you know, enlighten us a bit more uh, about certain concepts, about certain aspects, what's it about. Uh, what are opportunities, what are things to look out for, for scams, but of course, a lot of people, you know, uh, misstep in, in these kind of new technologies as well. And I also know Mitchell from back in the day, uh, he participated in a few hackathons, uh, the Daily Zero hackathons, and he was one of the only, or one of the very few people who could, you know, program on the blockchain, etc. So he, he has a quite an interesting background that we'll find out more about him personally. So without further ado. Mitchell Pawiro, the Nomo, quite a long name, but call you just the DeFi wizard for now. Mitchell, welcome to Social Convos. Thanks for the flattering words. Yeah, DeFi wizard, huh? <laughs> hey, it, it's the first thing that popped into mind when I saw your wizard profile picture and kind of uh, weaving that Ethereum with its wand. So. <laughs> <laughs> so we do have to ask like Mitchell for like people that are less familiar with blockchain and cryptocurrency, what, what, what is decentralized finance? Because it's a beautiful word, it's beautifully shortened into DeFi, but what is it exactly? So first you need to understand what is centralized finance. So we, for example, when you deposit money to the bank, the bank is the centralized entity. So you deposit and you get, you gain interest, right? Or yield. And where does the yield come from? It comes from the borrowers. And what DeFi, yeah, in the aspect of DeFi, there is no centralized entity. There's just code. So everything works automatically, autonomously. So nobody can, nobody has control over what you can and cannot do. Everything. So the yield. How can I explain it in simple terms? Yeah. Help me out. Take, yeah, take your time. Yeah, take your yeah. time. <laughs> Maybe we have to break it down into pieces. So the first thing that you started with is that the yield, or as we know it as interest, it doesn't come from a centralized entity. So basically it's, it's, it's a supply and demand. But then the biggest question becomes like, how does it remain stable? Like, does that come through smart contracts? And if so, what are those? And if not, where does the stability, the guaranteed stability comes from? Or do you have to understand that if you dive into decentralized finance, that it will fluctuate a lot? Yes, of course it will fluctuate because uh, as you said, it's, it's a supply and demand. If there's a huge demand on, let's say US dollars, then the interest rate goes up. So there's the borrowers and there's the lenders. The borrowers be the lenders interest. So that's where the yield come from. If it's stable, it's not really stable. Sometimes it's 2%, sometimes it's 10%. The, it's supply and demand, yeah. And those percentages you're talking about, it's more in the DeFi space because, uh, as you said, if, if you compare it to centralized finance, the lenders usually are the banks, right? And then the borrowers or the people like us, companies, etc. And they kind of have a kind of a fixed interest rate that you have to pay back. But if you look at it in the DeFi space, uh, decentralized, 
there is no like bank, so to speak. So uh, it's basically people lending money to each other or networks lending money to each other and kind of paying each other in a more, I, I, I guess, P2P way. But be, before we dive into more technicalities, why, why do you think there's, especially in 2020, there's been a, like a more interest and there's been the rise of DeFi technology in the general, like more people, more spaces have been looking into the options of DeFi. Why, why do you think that is? Why, why did you personally dive into DeFi coming from, you know, the programming background, the blockchain, et cetera? First of all, one, there's freedom. So you're 100% in control of your money where the money goes and, and how it's on the blockchain, it's 100% transparent. So you can follow your money along where it's going, how it's generating yield. But at the bank, you don't know who the bank lends your money to and where the yield is coming from. So for me, the transparency is really important and the freedom. And because I'm, I'm a bit technical, um, Innovation is a part of my drive and it's something new, something really interesting. So yeah, that's why I entered the speech. So I do have to ask a little bit of a follow-up question on that because there's a lot, like there are so many options. So maybe you can give us a little bit of a thought process, like how, and again, we're going to tell our viewers and listeners, like, this is not a financial advice. But like when you dive into different uh, decentralized finance a project, what do you look usually look in when you look at the white paper or look at the background of 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 this of this decentralized or DeFi project? What what do you look at when when you look into these in these projects? Yeah. So first of all, I check if the smart contract, so the code of of the project, is is audited. So audit in party comes to check the code on how secure and how valid the code is. So if there's an audit or multiple audits on, on the project, then, you know, that the risk is, it's, it's lower. Uh, you, you got out there for a second. So who audits this, like the, the, the code is, is it like other programmers or other? There are specific organizations that are auditing such as Certic. Certic audits a lot of, of these DeFi protocols or companies, and they're very, uh, are very good in what they do. So you, they, they have a document that they expose. Or yeah. That they use as a base to check everything, but is, is it just one company that audits most of these things or do they go through multiple, like. If we're talking about decentralized, it's, it's kind of centralized again. If you have one auditor checking it, so it kind of defeats the purpose. <laughs> there are a lot of auditors. There are a couple of people or yeah, single groups or there are companies, but these, the audits are very expensive. So not a lot of, of these newly protocols because they don't, yeah, they don't start with a huge fund or, or a huge sum of money to be the auditors. So when, when a new protocol pops up, you won't see the audit directly. It, it's uh, mostly on the roadmap. So when I look at the, the white paper, when I read the white paper, I check how simple is, is it to understand because it's the white paper goes very deep in technicality and mathematics because it's, it's complex. So to me. I must understand it, such as borrowing and lending is, is a very simple concept, but when it comes to how they keep the borrowing, how they keep the, the market stable, the interest rate stable, that that's something, yeah, very complex. I, I do want to jump a little bit deeper in the sense of getting a feel of like what these sentiments finance platforms look like or companies look like. So when you look back and look at how it evolved. Like, what was the biggest, what for you had the biggest uh, impact? Was it Bitcoin? It was kind of the originator, not really decentralized finals, but the originator of blockchain technology, kind of like the pioneer. Or do you see like there has been in the past year, two years, 
there has been another project, but, but most, most of these projects actually see as the pioneer or the godfather of the decentralized finance space. So of course I started out with buying Bitcoin back in 2019. I heard of Bitcoin in, I think 2016 or something, but yeah, I, I didn't think much of it when I participated in the FinTech, the, the blockchain, uh, the hackathon, then we as a team called it our own blockchain, just to understand the concept of how the blockchain works and how is it, how secure is it and how it, it secures the data, how it encrypts the data. So at that point I got interested in Ethereum. So, and it, in, within Ethereum, you can, Ethereum, you can see as, as application platform or yeah, an, a launch pad, yeah, something like that, where people build applications on top of Ethereum. So that's when it, it all started. First of, first of all, it was the first, let's say the, the, the first project that, that started all of this was the the taxes, so the decentralized exchanges, that's where it all started. Like, uh, Uniswap is one of them, one of the big ones. And that's where it, it all started. Then lending and borrowing game protocols, such as Confound, Abbey, and, uh, and MakerDAO game. MakerDAO was the first where you can deposit your Ethereum and borrow against it for a uh, X uh, amount of time. Basically like a, how, how do the brands call it? I, I, I forgot the word, Chandok, help me out here. Oh, okay. Okay. So you basically give a load of Ethereum to the DAO and yeah. that allows you to land XML more from there as well. Yeah. Kind, kind, kind of like, uh. Wow. Okay. That's interesting. Yeah. That is interesting. It's kind of a dull table. Yeah, like when, yes, I forgot the word. What the hell is the word? A, a, a mortgage, mortgage. A mortgage. Exactly. Yes. yes. So you're getting a lot of shout outs in the, in the comments, uh, Mitchell. People who are, who are really interested uh, in what's going on. And there's a question by Rushil who says, I'm interested in the DeFi space. What to get started with programming smart contract, contracts? What platform or blockchain would you recommend and why? So for somebody who's just starting out, you, you have a tech background, but for somebody who's just starting out, where, where would you send it? There are a lot of, of free courses on YouTube. I know free code cap is, is one of them who does a lot of webinars, live streams about coding in, uh, on Ethereum. So you can start out there because Ethereum is, it's, it's a big, a big community and there are a lot of, of groups and people who are willing to help you out. So. So out of curiosity, is like Ethereum, the main platform you focus on or like Ethereum der derivatives or Ethereum layer two, have you checked in other chains such as, you know, Binance, Solana, or how do they compare to the Ethereum ecosystem in your opinion? Yeah, I, I played around a bit in, in, on the Binance smart chain, a little bit, a lot on, on Polygon, a little bit on XDAI. So these are Ethereum compatible blockchains and a lot of protocols are now going multi-chain. That means the same, the same platform, but it runs on uh, multiple layers such as Binance, Polygon, Ethereum mainnet. And what I focus mainly on Ethereum because that's, that's where it all started. And yeah, the community there is. It's a lot bigger than the rest. So this brings then another question. I I, I want to go into, you, you mentioned Aave and uh, Compound. Yeah. yeah, a while back. I, I want to go into that a bit. But before we go into that, if you look at how, you know, you said Uniswap was big in 2020. I, I remember it was like mid 2020. There was a yeah. huge airdrop. People went crazy. They, they got a couple of thousands. People went crazy for missing out. Or... <laughs> yeah. And, and then you had copies like, you know, sushi swap, pancake swap, and everyone else banking on, you know, getting this airdrop for their tokens. And an another topic that, you know, kind of spins out of this is then 
the, the tokens are used as governance tokens and governance tokens are basically the right to vote on protocols by the community to, you know, say what can pass through and in a decentralized way. And the, these kind of airdrops went crazy. So what, what do you think of the, the concept that these platforms, exchanges, or whatever you call them, do with airdrops? Because there was another big airdrop, I think, yesterday with Parasol, for example. Parasol. How, how do you see airdrops? Like, are they useful or are they just hype? Are they just to FOMO people in? Yeah, of course, airdrop. So the protocols are basically rewarding people or giving people the right to vote by airdropping them the governance token. I find the governance token a very interesting concept because it gives us the users right to vote for specific or adding a, a new token on the protocol, for example. And this decentralizes the protocol even more because a lot, a lot of people have seeing rights on, you know. So that's a good thing, I guess. In, in that sense, it's, it's a good thing, yeah. You airdrop to a lot of people and then the people who are in for the money they sell off, but like all the people that are in it for the government and transparency, these things are moving forward. I think it's a great way to kind of get ownership from that perspective. I'm not sure if, if Diego was also trying to find a different angle uh, on it as well, but I do understand it from a, from a governance uh, perspective. No, from, from a governance perspective, definitely. I, I'm, I'm, it, it's still very early and we, we kind of talked about this, I think touched on it slightly last week on, you know, who, who in the end, who decides, um, do you need a, you know, 90% consensus, 70% consensus, etc. And if you have like thousands, maybe hundreds of thousands of people governing. And in the high protocol, for example, you can delegate your kind of voting power to someone else that you trust. So I, I assume it's kind of uh, the same way with the ENS airdrop last week it was kind of the same thing. When I had to claim the tokens, you, you could then delegate your power to like people who submitted, I guess, like, uh, you know, their, their, their resume, so to call it on, on the network and what, what they're working on. So you could delegate your power to them. So when new protocols come that they can vote for you. So it's kind of like running a community in the sense of how a government would run a, a, a country, but with more. No, way too central. <laughs> compared to a country. So yeah, I, I get you, but people in the comments are saying like, they don't see enough from each other. So you should spend more time with your actual in real life, uh, IRL friends. There are two more questions that jumped in. Let's start with the one from Shanil, which is a little bit related to what we asked earlier on. So we're looking into a new project. What are the specific things you look at in order to decide whether to invest or not? You basically already said that it's very important that the projects have been audited, but like you said, early on projects, they don't have the, the, the money or the capital yet to get audited. So how do you usually find these projects early on? That's. That's the only <laughs> Yeah. Right. The Discord community and yeah, that's the only so thing. I want to ask you both before we go to the next question. How many Discord groups are you guys in? Give, give me five seconds. Let me count. <laughs> the reason I'm at like this is 20. 20? Oh, that's, that's. It's a manageable. It's, it's manageable. Yeah. Yeah. It's manageable. I, I, I'm more close to 30, 35. Yeah. yeah so if, if you're interested in this space, I saw someone uh, had a question about interested in this space, especially, you know, the crypto space, NFT space, DeFi space. I think the best place to find the communities of people actually working hands on, on these types of things are Twitter, as Mitchell said, and Discord. And once you get like two or three people are just a few accounts and uh, communities you're in or follow your, the, the content kind of aggregates through the algorithm. That's no loss. It yeah, really is no loss. Yeah. I think, I think so, Twitter is really the best space and you don't have to worry about anything on Twitter when it comes to social media, because locally on Twitter, nobody really cares about you. <laughs> so, I mean, you can post whatever you want on Twitter. You can make it a full 
I mean, I know people that have giveaway accounts. Basically, they only use the accounts for Twitter giveaways. Right. Puts me in an awkward position. You're talking about yourself, right? <laughs> no, no, it puts me in an awkward position because I have over 4,000 followers on Twitter, which is not a lot. Well, it, it kind of already gets to a point that some people don't respond to my tweets anymore because it's so kind of crypto-based at the moment. But yeah. And, and, and speaking of being overwhelmed with all this information and new developments, Gregory, Gregory then also says, how do you filter out the, you know, the, the needle in the haystack, the, the good from the bad, even though it's kind of everything is curated on there, there's still a lot of bad in there. Yeah, there are a lot of, of moon boys, as, as we call them. Yeah. What, what's a moon boy? It's a slang used in crypto Twitter. It's basically someone who hypes up a token or a protocol just to, you know, get the maximum gains, so to say. And how do I filter out? I follow a lot of founders or or writers or in, in the space and not just some people who's shouting out a hundred X on some coin or something. Are, are there any that come to mind, like the three or four uh, in the Ethereum space, for example, that you say, okay, if, if this guy talks about it and three more people that, you know, you, you trust talk about it, it, it's worth looking at any specific accounts that come to mind. Yeah. Vitalik put it in, of course, the founder of Ethereum. There's Anthony Sassano who does daily uh, recaps or Twitter recaps and at 11 p.m. local time. So I have a notification on and <laughs> then I listen to his. Uh, nice. And yeah, if, if you follow those two and you check who they follow and you have a, a, a pretty good filter. Shout out to Fitalik for not only mentioning Hive multiple times, but actually also following Hive as well. So I'm a big, a big fan of Fitalik as well. Is that so? Uh, quickly, because you had Hive Fest last week. Uh, tell us a short about what happened during Hive Fest and how Fitalik played a role in that. And okay. Mitch, uh, then Mitch can go into his, his, his experience with Hive. Okay. So basically Hive Fest was last Friday and already it's a yearly festival from Hive. And Fitalik plays a role in the sense that every time when we mention the power of like somebody talks about him with the power of decentralization. Basically, Fitalik jumps back to the, the story of Steam and Hive and how basically Hive broke free as a community from Steam and decided the community themselves decided to create their own blockchain, kind of similar code, but then really iterated on it and really made it better. And Fitalik often mentions, at least twice in the past half year, he has mentioned Hive. It's a great test case where somebody's trying to centralize a blockchain and the community says, nope, not going to happen. And the best part about HiveFest was that it was, it was in VR. It was kind of this metaverse experience. I got to speak uh, right after the opening. So that was pretty cool. And it was, it was difficult for me. I'm going to tell you, I'm going to be honest. I'm not techie. I'm not back into gaming, so the VR space for me, it was new. I had to, Outspace didn't work properly on my Mac, so I had to get it onto an old Windows interface. I had to use a Microsoft email address, which I only have what? one of. I used my 1998, listen carefully, my 1998 email address. I used an email address that was 23 years old to get into VR, into Outspace. I, that was pretty, that was pretty dope. And then unfortunately my experience, which was great, got cut off by the local power company who cut out electricity for a while. And after it was cut off, I couldn't get back into Outspace. So yes, I'm a bit of a, of a boomer, a Gregory Garrett says Windows for the win. And uh, some shout outs from uh, Yale as well. And I do have to, to ask also a shout out from the U.S. That's, uh, that's pretty cool. Thanks. Uh, so I do have to ask before you jump into the hive, is Elon a moon boy or not? <laughs> I don't think him. I, I don't take his tweets very seriously. I think he's just trolling around and playing around in the community just to test. I think he's testing us on how emotional we are 
And when he tweets about those, it, it shoot up. When he tweets negatively, it, it dumps. So I think he's just testing how, how sensitive the community is. Is that, is that a problem that Shiba surpassed the market cap of Doge? Is that a, is that a problem in this space? Or you're like, nah, it doesn't really matter. Yeah. It, I don't like or hate Doge or Shiba. I think this is an example on how far meme coins can go. And Shiba is really an example of that. Um, it, it pushes the boundary as in. You don't have to be, yeah, very smart to launch a token and it, and it goes on the top 100. It basically shows, how do you call this? As you said, it's, it's a meme coin. They got nothing to lose. They created a protocol. The, the founder of Doge said it in an interview a few years ago as well. Like they literally created the Doge as a knockoff meme yeah, exactly. Bitcoin to, to experiment with. And I think. These, these two are very important examples because it just shows how if there is our people willing to accept and how I think fragile or how easy it is to take something as a unit of exchange or a, a store of value, for example, if, if everyone is like, you know, we're going to use shells for the rest of our lives and everyone accepts it's kind of like, we're going to use a Doge meme. As an ex token of exchange, everyone accepted no, no problem there because it's kind of like an agreed upon unit that people can trade or do stuff with. And exactly. that goes back to how fiat is. Yeah. Like, I'm not sure I will, I'm willing to compare it to fiat, but it's interesting. What I think is interesting about this situation is where in traditional culture, well, traditional, well, I'm talking about 20 years ago. You would have things like Birkenstock and Converse shoes being like a cult status and people were willing to buy, spend a lot of money on it. And the biggest there, difference there is you would consume it and you would have lost the money and it would be over. Like there was no kind of buyback or when you're like, yeah, I don't want this brand anymore. You just give it back and you get something in return. Whereas with, with, with these cryptocurrencies, it's basically you can jump into it feel like ride the wave and at a certain point you can be like, yeah, I'm, I'm not into this hype anymore. I'm just going to sell it off. And I think that's a major change compared to, I compare it more to collectibles. Yeah. It, 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 this is where liquidity I think comes in. And I, I think it's, uh, we, we can go into that in a second when we go into liquidity and staking. But before we go to that, yeah, Mitch, you said you had a hype, hype account back before it was back when it was steamed. So did you explore hype? further or not, but what's your experience with it? I explored Steam back in the days. I, think I attended the, the seminar of Sean Luke about Steam and it, it's a very interesting concept because it's focused on the community. It's really focused on the community and, and building together. And I, yeah, I, I miss the, the high fest, man. And there were a couple of things that were happening in my life and yeah, I missed it completely. So, but the positive thing is you have a steam in your wallet. So with a hard fork, you got some high from it as well. Yeah, exactly. Oh, that's, that's, that's good. I mean, need to recover my wallet though. <laughs> I don't know if I can recover. It's free money. <laughs> We've been talking about airdrops as free money for a while. And, and you should check if you don't also have, because there was another uh, side chain, Blurt, in case you don't know Blurt.world, there was also a fork there. So you might also have some Blurt mm. in your account. And so there, there are, so there are multiple wallets that you have to recover now. <laughs> all right. All right. So. Kind of uh, focus, laser focus on the Ethereum space. Uh, but I, I think that's good because it's important to be aware of the different chains, but having a focus and, you know, mastering one, it's important too, because even Ethereum is very broad and with layer two solutions and Ethereum 2.0, God knows when that's going to launch. <laughs> um, but the layer two solutions, as well, like Polygon, as you mentioned. Yeah. And that's where liquidity plays a role with borrow and lending. So how do these, I guess, 
DeFi platforms, so you mentioned a few, make sure that there's enough liquidity that people can borrow and lend and trade and not become in a situation like Shanluk said, he bought a shoe and then no one else is buying it because it's an illiquid object. Yeah, so there's an incentive on uh, depositing liquidity. Uh, on Aave, for example, you get Matic tokens on the Polygon chain. On Compound, you get the Com token when you deposit. So there's an incentive to become a liquidity provider. That's, that's how they attract a lot, a lot of liquidity because people want to farm these tokens, maybe for governance or maybe just, you know, free, free airdrops, free tokens, free tokens. Yeah, exactly. But does this not cause a problem as in if they're kind of creating these incentives, the re these rewards, kind of like printing money, like the, the money printer go brr. And so does this kind of don't, doesn't make it the platform or the, the exchange, whatever you call it, kind of inflationary now and that people are going to keep borrowing and lending. You have this incentive, there's kind of more supply, even though it's a yeah. different token. So yeah. doesn't this become inflationary and then you get the same problem again that over uh, time they'll lose value? Yeah, not really because the incentive doesn't last forever. They have, let's say, a promo of six months where uh, you get Matic tokens or Comp tokens and then it's you, you get nothing. The protocol allocates a, a percentage of, of their treasury to pay out the incentive. It's not, it's not that they're minting new tokens then. Creating more supply, they're just allocating from the treasury and giving it to the community. You look confused, Chanduk. Yeah, so I want to know that who governs the treasury. The treasury is governed by a team. Okay, but how is the team elected? Or is that centralized? It's, yeah, it's centralized in some way, yeah. <laughs> yeah, so well, yeah, that, moving, uh, that's what I see. The problem is, you see, I have like small detailed problems. Like I just mentioned to you guys that I had to use 23 year old email address to get into space. And the reason I'm mentioning is that Outspace to get in, you need either your VR set or if you want to do it on Windows, you have to do it to Microsoft. Now, if you're going to be like, I want to have a decentralized world where the major players or not pushing all the buttons and you have a, a fest, a digital or a virtual reality fest where you either have to own Mark Zuckerberg's Oculus, which is no change from me, which we use a headset, which is kind of an investment by one of the bigger centralized players. And you have, or you have to log in with Microsoft, another one of the bigger players. Like there's still a lot of, I mean, we're, we're really getting innovative and changing the landscape, but some parts are just kind of stuck. And one of the reasons I want kind of the way Hive um, works is because you have the opportunity by the community to kind of vote for who they want as witnesses. And that's also where the major breakup with Steam came because Justin Sock was just putting sock puppets as witnesses and was giving them all this, this voting power just to overtake the top 20 witnesses. So I think from, from a worrisome perspective, I mean, you have to have a team that sets it up. Like not every, every space is going to be like Bitcoin where there's this person that nobody knows who the person is who kind of sets everything up. With SushiSwap, that became a very big issue because it felt like the owner was like dumping his, his like a dump just to get rich, get rich, a uh, quick scheme. So these kind of things happen. And it means like, <laughs> I started coming here, those just a little finger to everybody in kind of master in finance, because I think the biggest, the, the most beautiful thing about Doge is like the, the founder saying like, you guys know, this is a me, right? I'm not no longer involved in the project and the founder just leaving the project and after the founder leaves, the project sticks off even further. So these are really cool examples, but on the other side, I'm still kind of worried about like intent matters and like, how can you pressure the intent of the creator? So that, I think that's something that for me is still a little worrisome. Yeah. 
the self-realization is hard because we're literally building from the ground up. We're creating these technologies, these protocols from scratch. And we're in a speculative space. We're experimenting with, with money or with creating value from nothing. So we have a long way to go to tackle these kinds of problems in the centralized world. Because to explain decentralization to somebody who's never heard of it, it's, yeah, it's, it's like entering a, a whole different world, whole different dimension. And you're, there are people who get airdrops of ten thousands of dollars and yeah, to, to explain such a concept to, to some, someone totally new in, in crypto or what's the most bizarre explanation you've heard and what's the most bizarre reaction you got from someone who you try to explain it to? <laughs> I got told, uh, crypto is a scam. It's a Ponzi game. And yeah, for me, it's just like, no, man, come on. Were, there, were those people that invested in one coin? Potentially. I don't know. Potentially. I think they got burned out. Because of these, uh, a lot of Ponzi's who are, there are a couple of Ponzi's locally. I, I, I think there are still one coin cars running, you know, driving around with, with the one coin sticker. So these things don't die out and it's, it's, yeah, it's, it's toxic to, to people who are really building the foundation. Diego, we have two more questions. Which one should we go for? Yeah, you pick. I, I, I got. A more technical question about Ave, but you can do these two first, and then I'll ask mine. And okay, let's one. let's let's move on from from easy to hard. Shaniel is talking about NFTs. Yes, Shaniel, there's a connection to DeFi and NFTs, but let's talk a little bit about NFTs first. They've been I not even for a couple of weeks, but almost a full year now. Besides art and collectibles, do you think NFTs can have other use cases like real estate? Etc. And how would that even work? Did you even explore the NFT space also? Yeah, a little bit, but yeah, I don't understand the full, full concept of where NFTs are going for now. It's just, uh, art and collectibles, but there were white papers uh, talking about digitalizing documents on, on chain, but yeah, how, how would that even work? Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I'm gonna, I'm gonna go real meta in the sense that this is a real new line of thinking. I mean, Miguel, who's in the comments, has actually has experience with, with blockchain and, and real estate with Realt. I think Realt is it that you can actually, instead of buying a house, you can buy a portion of a house oh, yeah. with 10,000 different people. And when that yeah. house gets rented out or gets sold, then you actually earn profits from it. So that's one way to go about it. But if you want to talk actual NFTs, I think people haven't, we haven't even touched, scratched the surface of what NFTs can do. I'm going to give you an example. Let's say one of the bigger hotels in Suriname decides they want to do a big, their 50 years or 70 years anniversary, and they decide they're going to mint 700 NFTs of their hotel room. And everybody that has that NFT of that hotel room. That NFT gives access to staying in the hotel for three nights during the next year and three nights during the year after that and three nights during the year after that. So if you buy one of these NFTs, you don't only get a digital collectible, but you actually get three nights stay three different years in that hotel. So that's just a concept that's already out there. Not with the hotel space, but it's something that could definitely be, I wouldn't be surprised if there's a hotel already doing that. So these are kind of ways that you can go. And with real estate, it might be a little bit more difficult, but you could even say like, if you all, if 10,000 people own this NFT, one of those 10,000 people is actually getting a house. I mean, you can go to that extent. Uh, so look, it, sorry to interrupt. Yeah. We actually got someone in the comment who knows all about NFT. Yeah. So Rajiv, this is an open invite and for Timothy as well. This is an open invite to get you on this space to talk a little bit about more about your experience, because I feel there is so much more that we can learn from the NFT space. 
But to answer Shaniel's question, yes, definitely real estate, real estate. There will be uh, NFT solutions popping up for real estate in the next coming years. And both Diego and I are, are following a lot of entrepreneurs who are right or kind of big, who are already profiting from, from this NFT space. And then a little bit more of a technical question from Granary. What is the fair value or the intrinsic value of Bitcoin? Is it a function of the mining difficulty or something like the price of electricity? You, if you can dissect this question a little bit. Okay, you guys hear us, Mitch? You good? Yeah. Okay. yeah. So, so basically, Greg, it's a hard question. Yeah. If you want to take a shot at it, uh, but I, I, I'll give my quick, quick take. I guess the, the, the fair value is what people decide it is, in my opinion, because what is the intrinsic value of gold? We, we can go at this discussion all day, basically. Is it a pump? And with bit, in Bitcoin's day, uh, in Bitcoin's case, it is kind of derived from mining as well, because gold is mined. There's kind of a six, fixed supply on Earth unless you have a meteorite crash or something to add more supply. But there's a fixed supply on Earth and gold itself is kind of inflationary as well. If you look at it from a mining perspective, work perspective. So if you apply that same thought to Bitcoin, that mining work kind of uh, relates to energy consumption or energy creation. And you could extrapolate kind of value from that in a sense. So do what that which you will. I'll leave it open to you, but uh, Mitch, you got anything to add to that? <laughs> no, that's exactly uh, what I would say. So the people decide at the end of the day. Okay, then let's go on to an easier question. Okay, wait, before we go to the last one, Mitchell, let's quickly go to the easier question. Are you wearing a Bivarian tea? <laughs> yeah, I got this shirt on Meta Factory. It's where the the crypto artists come together and, and create stuff and sell them online. Hey, that's another way. That's not even decentralized, but you will make money from art. So co coming back to my question, we, we talked about, you know, lending, borrowing, uh, a bit about the liquidity and how that's arranged. And you mentioned going through the white papers. There's a lot of mathematics that go in it protocols to keep the, the platform kind of liquid. And then you see some, you know, some pairs have like high yields, like 80%, maybe even at a thousand percent. And what can you tell us about how these yields work and what is a realistic range if you look at it from a value perspective? And also it, are they kind of denominated in dollars if you look at these yields or are they denominated in the base currency? If, if you want me to break it down, just let me know. Yeah. So I never experienced thousand percent yield on, on stable coins. It's mostly on speculative new coins that are popping up on, on the protocol. And maybe there's low liquidity, but a high demand on, on the borrowing side. So there's not enough suppliers, but there's a lot of borrowers. That's why the yield is so high and, and it's basically a way to attract liquidity of the, of the token. That's, that's how the protocol but gets the, the yield. But that means that that high number yield is then just as soon as they have enough liquidity, the high number yield goes it away. It goes right? down. It goes down. Yeah. But this yield is kind of denominated yield is APY is over a year. So basically people have this kind of misperception of oh, a thousand percent yield, but it's not that it's going to stay there for a year. No, no. So uh, what would be a, a realistic uh, range? Wait, wait, I, I do have a question there. Like if Diego mentions, like you mentioned, it has a thousand percent yield, but the thousand percent yield drops from thousand to 10%, for instance, for the time being that it was on a thousand percent yield, those two those days, do you actually do get the return from those days or is it like where it ends up? No, the thousand percent on those days. On those days that it was a thousand. Exactly. I just wanted to clarify because people were allowed to be like, <laughs> what if you had a 10% and I only get 10%? I do want to have want to that cleared up. Yeah. And so, it gets, the interest is paid out per block. So it's per like 20 minutes or 10 minutes. Uh, Remember when the settlement is, but yeah. 
So basically, if you're early, uh, early adopter, you can actually profit from it and provide early liquidity to get, to get this. And th this kind of ties back in the, the, the question, but how do you identify like, if, if it's good or bad? Yeah. At these times, I, I stay at the, uh, in the blue chip protocols, the, the ones that are, the ones that are the, the most, that have the most liquidity in the space. I know Aave, Compound, those two are the blue chips and I just, yeah, I, I stay away from, from the new farms, the new protocols that pop up. I might, because there are a lot of clones, a lot of clones of, of Compound, Aave, SushiSwap was a clone uh, of Uniswap, but they had a twist on it. So that it's, it was not really a clone, it was a clone in some sense, but you know, but there are a lot of one-to-one uh, -one clones and yeah, and, and these, these high EPY pops up the thousand percent, the 10,000%, but yeah, you, there's a risk because if you're not really technical and you can't read the smart contract that are, that are deployed to, uh, to create the protocol, there is a risk that they can rock pull you. Rock pool as in basically they take your money and run away. And mo most of the time, the, the founders, the, the team is anonymous. Would you say that's a red flag or not? The anonymity of the, the team? <sighs> there, there are pros and there are cons. The pro is it's not centralized because you don't know who the person is. As in, that's why I love, that's what I love about Bitcoin. There's not a single person who know, I, maybe there is, but you know, doesn't say who knows Satoshi, nobody knows. But in Ethereum sense, what if something happens to Vitalik or the core team that develops Ethereum, you know, it, it's a, it's a centralized point of failure, you can say. So, but the con is you don't know who the, who the person is and it's very hard to, yeah, an annuity is, is just another concept of, yeah, but what you make of it, it's a personal preference, I think. Yeah. And, and speaking of Vitalik, I remember, I think 2018, there was this rumor going around on Twitter that he died or something because they, they hadn't heard from him for like several days or weeks. And so yeah. this kind of. I, I don't, I'm not sure what happened anymore, but it, it kind of did have an impact on Ethereum, but I, I'm not sure if that would have the same impact now, but Ethereum grew by a lot in the past three, four years, especially the, the, the developer space. And even though Vitalik is still a central figure, uh, a prolific figure within the Ethereum community, uh, and they take what he says and proposes uh, seriously, there is, uh, you know, uh, a strong community with the foundation now that's kind of, you know, deploying the roadmap of Ethereum further. So I don't think if, if you've ha established that on the long run and you've battle tested the network, I think that even if, you know, a known figure like that would somehow be removed from the equation, it, it, it would still last in my opinion. And then we have a quick question here, sticking to the yield farming part from Ochi. Yield farming or staking, which one do you prefer? Yeah, so those are two different concepts. Yield farming is when there's an incentive on earning a, a, a token, such as an example is you deposit stable coins on Aave to yield farm Matic tokens, or you go to Confound and you yield farm Confound. Staking, on the other hand, is when you stake a token, you join a consensus of, of the blockchain. I know EOS, EOS yeah, is yeah, there's staking and proof of work. Bitcoin is proof of work. Ethereum is still proof of work, but we're going to Ethereum 2.0 where it becomes proof of stake. And what, which one do you prefer? Yeah, it's, it's a personal preferences. Yeah. If you would like to stake your tokens, you go right ahead. Got it. And yeah, kind of. Well, I think, yeah. I think it's, unless you have some more questions, but after that, I do feel we have to close up with a, hopefully, 
we, we can wind down with that. Yeah. So Mitch, we're going to ask you some, give you a few topics, subjects, could be anything random. We'll think of them right now. Chanduk is cooking up. Let's see how much time we have. Shall we do two each? Uh, yeah. We can do two each or three each. I don't mind. Okay. Let's, let's do three each. We'll, we'll keep them short. So we'll give you a subject. You tell us if it's overrated or underrated. Uh, overrated being, you know, it's too hyped up and underrated being, oh, people should definitely look into it more. And this is your opinion. There's no right or wrong. So Shan, look, why don't you kick us off? Okay. Let's kick off with something a little bit easy, something not directly decentralized finance related hackathons, overrated or underrated? Underrated. Think there needs to be a lot more, uh, competitions because I drive with competition. I love competitions because it pushes us, um, to the limits, to beyond what you can do. And, and in that pressure, uh, with the team, uh, there's a lot you can learn from others and just the community. It's, it's really underrated. That's kind of how you got into the space, right? With, through a, through a hack. Exactly. Exactly. All right. Got it. So we, we didn't talk much about the, your, your background in education, et cetera, but I do want to know for locally, not in, uh, high school, overrated or underrated? I, I, no, you're not there anymore. So <laughs> yeah, I know, I know, I know, but yeah, I, from, I, I always want to go to not because it's so focused on, on preparing you to the work environment. Because other, I see Chanel come in, Martin is overrated. Yeah, could be, I don't know. It's, uh, it's up to you. Maybe to fairness, because you host all my second, my second overrated, underrated. But the reason this came up is because like locally, even with a little program with our old three club, which is failing, which is kind of the middle school, junior high, kind of uh, best students of middle school in China. And when. A lot of them can even go to like, uh, premium high schools in the country because they're the best of their class. We still choose Natin because Natin, I think the, 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 the brand power of Natin is just such that everybody wants to go to Natin. So that's one of the reasons why we just had to ask where that, where that kind of comes from. Yeah, exactly. So, so the, the comments differ, Chanel says it's overrated. <laughs> Jeff, Jefferson Ventura says, no, it's underrated. <laughs> it's, it's super overrated and people are just having fun. Uh, uh, sorry, in the comments right now. So the next question I'm going to ask is mining, crypto mining, is it underrated or overrated? I don't really have an answer for that because both of them have pros and cons. And yeah, I think it's how you look at it is uh, do you prefer mining or do you prefer what? I, I, I'll but for the mining? One. Okay, go ahead. I'll steal that one from Mitch. And I, I do think for individuals, retailers like us, I think mining is overrated at this point. If it was five, six, seven years ago, I would say yes. Mm. But at this point, with this uh, ecosystem grown this big, it's kind of overrated the, the, the returns you'll get and the volatility of the market. You have to invest quite a bit, but if, if you have a, you know, huge investment ready, do a project, electricity is still relatively cheap here compared to the rest of the world. I'm not suggesting anything, but just giving some facts. So I do think it is a, a bit overrated. Then the question may be for you and Sean, are there still people mining in, in Suriname? Probably. Uh, I, I, I think there are. It could be. There definitely could be. Are. We, we might not know them personally, mm -hmm. but uh, there are definitely real yeah. people that have to follow to do so. Yeah. But there's no mining farm, like, you know. We don't know. That's a new, we don't know what we don't know. Okay. Could that, be an underground bunker or something. Yeah. <laughs> Next one for me. Technical analysis. Overrated or underrated? <laughs> it's overrated, I think, because. Yeah, I, I started out with technical analysis in my investing journey and it became more and more overrated because it, there's such a hype about technical analysis, but at the end of the day, if you can re price action only, 
So the volume and the candles, then you're good. Or you just want to invest and yeah, you, you dollar cost average into the market and you're done. No technical analysis or something. But that isn't technical, technical analysis that, that doesn't fall under technical analysis or? No, I just have to ask. As a group that doesn't do any technical analysis, I just have to find out like from where, from which point are we talking about <laughs> technical analysis? If if you'd ask me as the poet fan, you see people drawing a lot of lines on the charts, etc., and and looking so yeah. many indicators. <laughs> a lot of lines, a lot of indicators, over complicating your your setup. Yeah. Suddenly everything makes sense. Oh, look, the, the shape fits into the exact <laughs> overlap of those lines. So yeah, I, I, I'm with Mitchell on this one. I, I do find it okay. overrated as well. Okay. Um, let's go to the 2017, 2018 premier altcoins. We're talking about Monero, Dash, Stellar, those kind of coins that really popped up the way that the swap swaps popped up in 2020. 2021. How do you feel about the cryptos like Monero, Dash, Stellar, and the, the cryptos that really popped in the pop form back in 2017-18? Yeah, I I wasn't really around when at the the previous bull market, so I and I'm not really exposed to those. None of them is on your radar in 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 what way whatsoever. Monero, definitely. Okay. Because it's, it's a privacy focused chain, right? Yeah. Okay. Interesting. So, so privacy is still a bit underrated in the space you'd say. Privacy is, is underrated. Yeah. Okay. All right. And then final one for me, crypto gaming, and then specifically God's Unchained. Underrated. I think that there's God's Unchained specifically is tackling a huge, huge triple E game such as Hearthstone. There needs to be more awareness of, of these uh, crypto games because I, I, I came across God's Unchained from very underrated channel of someone with, I think, 200 subscribers or something. And there weren't a lot of people around it, but it was a solid game, but the marketing was, was a bit lacking. That's, that's why recently it falling picked up, they had the airdrop. So people joined and, and rushed to play the game. So. Yeah, that's that. All right. Uh, what I want to say, Diego. Little lads. <laughs> <laughs> Nominated again this year as well for, for their blockchain performance. Splinterlands was, was also, they were talking after my talk at Heinstest. And I'm a very big, very, very big advocate for, for Splinterlands as the number one active blockchain in the world, blockchain game in the world. So if you haven't, if you recover your wallet, you'll be able to join into that as well. Yeah, I will. I will. So I, I think we can leave it at, at that for today's episode. First of all, Mitch, thanks for joining us. And yeah, no. it's a bit more of a technical episode than people are used to, but I, I think it is important to know about the space. And for us, for me, at least that there were some questions about more space that I wanted some more clarity on. And of course we, we chat uh, every now and then, but hearing it from you explaining it kind of gives me a better sense of how, how the space is interconnected. But with that being said, uh, any final thoughts from you? What's, what can people expect from you within the next short term, few months and how can people connect with you? Or if you want to stay private, of course, you don't have to share your social. So go ahead. Can I share a couple of resources that help me, that helps me along the way to filter? Oh, yes, definitely. No. And. Definitely. I, I run a tiny blog to, I, I write market recaps of uh, what happened previous week. And then I look at uh, the fundamentals of, of Bitcoin and Ethereum. It, 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 it started out as a personal blog for me. I, I didn't publish it, but then, then I, I started to post the, the, so how can few people find this, this blog? Oh, wait. Can I post the link? Yeah. Go to abovenormal.co. You can highlight. Sure. We'll highlight it in a second and also put it in the description later. 
but that's one yeah above normals.co as Shanluk puts that up and then what else do we got there are, there are also a couple of youtube channels that i follow on that give a good explanation on certain topics such as how nfts work how DeFi works in 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 a simple in simple terms with the drawings and i think those channels are really underrated they they have a couple of thousand subscribers so they need they need the traction guys also for following these good uh, quality channels just like social confluence also watch watch underrated like very underrated Diego Amorali, very underrated YouTube channel. You should definitely check out Diego Amorali on, on YouTube as well. I'll ask you all the links again after the show, but uh, if that's all of it, then we can call it a wrap. Uh, Shanluk, if you got anything yeah, to add. Yeah, so for the final comments, Shaniel just puts in, if you put a dozen minutes on the chart, there's about to be some success. Yeah. I fully agree. Anil says, this has been full of new stuff. He uh, enjoyed it. And but Joel, if you want to know a little bit more on the crypto's role on the, in the metaverse, make sure to check back Confo's conversation. I think it was 43. Diego, correct. Make sure to check out the metaverse, the enter the metaverse episode of Social Confo's and you will learn a lot more. Once again, Mitchell, thank you so much for joining in and sharing your knowledge. As always, Diego, thank you. And to everybody in the comments, thank you so much for tuning in. Uh, this was Social Powerfuls. See you back next week. Same place, same time. Bye-bye.